The Skinsaw Man once said, I wonder how your death shall affect your friends. What things might you have done that will go unfinished? What will those broken promises spawn? How will your murders shape the world? This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are looking at the second module in The Rise of the Rune Lords, The Skinsaw Murder. Now, The Skinsaw Murders takes place immediately after the first module, and as a really brief review of that module, it was the player characters fending off a goblin raid, and then confronting the source of the goblins, and as a result being exposed to a symbol that will be recurring throughout the entire adventure path, the Sahedron Rune. So let's begin The Skinsaw Murders. And how do you begin The Skinsaw Murders? With Murder Most Foul. Yeah, part one, Murder Most Foul. It starts out with the sheriff approaching the player characters and explaining to them that there have been a couple of murders and that he needs their help as heroes to solve it. He, of course, approaches them the way you should approach heroes with the attitude of thank you for everything you've done. Can you hero some more, please? One of the things I really like about this part is the sheriff comes up and goes, Hey, you guys are heroes. Also, if they're a little reluctant, he hands them a little note and goes, This was addressed to you. It was at the murder scene. Now, the note is from the murderer, and it's addressed specifically to one of the player characters, and there are three different ways the DM can take it, depending on what he decides the murderer's obsession with the player character is. If it's lust, the note implies that he wants them to join him in his wickedness. If it's envy, then it implies that the player characters are going to be rivals to him, and he needs to take care of that, and if it's wrath, it's just wrathful. The sheriff takes the player characters to the lumber mill. And at the lumber mill, there's this really awful murder scene. They go in, they find two people who have died. One person has been pushed into the giant saw blade, and another person has been ritualistically sacrificed and had the Sahedron rune carved into their chest. This whole section has a ton of clues that the player characters can find, and it really depends on how they want to search around to see what they can find. There's a horrible little smell, they can interview the people that found them, they can examine the bodies, which is probably a good thing to do. And the murder weapons that are still present. There's like an axe or something, and there's a few other clues. There's footprints. It's There's actually a absolute plethora of clues here and various things that will help them find the next section of the adventure. It's not really meant to be a really seriously difficult-to-solve murder mystery. After the player characters go around the lumber mill, they'll have a few different things, but they might be interested in the Sahedron rune. It appeared in the last module. It appeared now. One of the player characters probably has a Sahedron Rune medallion. If they want, there is an NPC in town that knows a little bit about ancient Thassalon. And it gives this really cool, interesting bit about what the seven-pointed star means. It stands for all of these tenets of leadership. Wealth, fertility, honest pride, abundance, eager striving, righteous anger, and rest. Which are... Decent virtues, but really more 
parallel the seven deadly sins. Which is a recurring theme throughout the adventure path. The seven deadly sins are the foundation points of Thassalon magic, as we'll find out later. But right now, all we need is for the player characters to get a hint that there's something bigger going on, and this is a great way to do it. Technically, the player characters can find this stuff out on their own if they have someone with the appropriate knowledge skills, and that someone is able to make a fairly difficult role. It's possible, it's unlikely. So, from there, the player characters are going to go to a sanitarium, most likely. There's a couple ways they could go, but the most likely route is to a sanitarium where they'll visit a patient who had contact with the Skinsaw Man, the person performing these murders. I kind of like the basic idea here. You go and talk to someone who has been attacked. They have this horrible disease and this insanity. And they look at the player characters and go, You! You are the ones that the Skinsaw Man was after. And gives them another little clue. It's kind of a common trope, in fact. We, we see it all the time in film and television and literature. But if it was just that, I'd be perfectly fine. But in the Anniversary Edition, they have this big red herring where you might have combat in almost any place in the sanitarium because the man who runs the sanitarium is in fact corrupt and evil and letting people die so that way the necromancer that lives in the basement can raise them from the dead and I hate the whole evil sanitarium trope. I mean mental health is already enough of a ugly touchy subject in this country. I feel like that the fact that it's constantly used as this scare tactic or this horror trope is not only just kind of lazy writing, but on top of that, it always seems to cast these things in a foul light. And yeah, we get it, there's some allegorical value to that, but let's try to avoid that. What I liked was the original module, where it turns out that the guy who runs this sanitarium knew that this patient was in infected by ghoul fever and was trying to cure it through mundane means, but recognized that that's not what's actually in the best interest of the patient. It's him conducting unethical medical research, and remorsefully he contacts the priest after this initial encounter with this man between him and the player characters, either to purify the body if the guy dies as a result of his fight with the player characters, or to have him cured of his disease if that's not the case, if he's still alive. Either way, it does show us that the, the warden of this particular sanitarium does have an aspect of corruption to him, but at least he's kind of trying to do the right thing, sort of. And I think that's actually a much more interesting story when there's that moral area where someone is doing something that's not best for people involved, but still has some sort of righteous motive behind it, because that's where you get to see real ugliness and the real problems with things like mental health care and with how we treat people when we're trying to better society versus better the individual. Whereas if he's just working for an evil necromancer, there's no moral gray area, there's no one sympathizing with him at all, he's just a bad guy, and he's a bad guy that's just being thrown in there because they wanted another bad guy, and that's kind of lazy. The next part happens a day, maybe two, after the player characters go to this sanitarium where a farmer from outside of Sandpoint comes into town and talks about walking scarecrows. Player characters go, well, what's going on? And he points them in the direction of the farmsteads. This little part is an interesting set piece. There's no map. There's a map of the area, but not really individual squares for tactical combat. Instead, the player characters go into these fields, look around for farmhouses, and then see scarecrows hanging up on the posts and then they smell oh oh no 
people have died here, and they, they got hung up as scarecrows. Oh, we should take the body down. This is awful. And roll for initiative as the ghoul jumps off the scarecrow post. Now, the classic attack jump square in movies, film, television, things like that, is always a creature or villain attacking from an unexpected angle, and this is a great example of that. Now, if your players are savvy, it's not really going to be unexpected, but it'll still carry that weight with it. Bonus that there are also some living individuals who haven't succumbed to ghoul fever yet who are being hung up on these scarecrows. So if the player characters encounter one of them first, they might assume that everybody is at that state and get opened up to a surprise attack when they start to take down a fully turned ghoul. Things like that can happen. But by now they should be figuring out that, yeah, it's a murder committed by a ghoul and they're making more ghouls and there's ghouls everywhere. Ghouls, 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 ghouls. There's a whole barn full of ghouls. Which I really like. That's a wonderful little trope. Anyway, you get to the farmhouse, you walk in, and wouldn't you know it, there's another person murdered with the Sihedron rune carved right into their chest. Ah, these bodies are stacking up. There's very little that we can do. There's a plague of ghouls going on. What can we do? Hey, we found a key with a family crest on it. Does anyone recognize this? Yeah, yeah, that key has the insignia of Foxglove Manor. Aldern Foxglove from the first module. Now what I like about this is the way that Pathfinder's Adventure Paths do a good job of seeding information that's going to be important later. For instance, Aldern Foxglove was introduced in the first module as a sort of eccentric figure that takes the player characters on a boar hunt. Kind of an important set dressing that doesn't seem super important at the time, but definitely sows the seeds that this is an important character. Likewise, one of the first murder victims is the sister to the woman who comes on to you in the no-win situation that we didn't really like, and it's interesting that they included that too, because it does tie things together, and it also might make it more difficult to get information from her father if you're trying to solve the murder that way. All of this stuff interconnects in really interesting ways that I think are kind of fun. But... This directs us to Foxglove Manor, which is the next place. The Misgivings, apparently, is the nickname of this particular manor, which I wouldn't name my manor the Misgivings, but whatever. Well, it's been named by the locals because all of the people who have lived here have had bad things happen to them. The current resident, obviously, has been turned into a ghoul, and it goes back for generations. Now, the coolest thing about this manor is that it's a haunted house. You have all these haunts, which are these supernatural traps. They're somewhere between a ghost and a trap. You can hurt them with holy water, and, like, you walk in the doors, and there you see a stuffed manticore. And then, out of nowhere, you encounter this burning manticore. Burning manticore? Isn't that the art festival out in the desert in Katapesh? I've always wanted to go! It sounds so exciting. The barter culture, the whole uh, feeling of belongingness and togetherness, the amazing art pieces that get showcased. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> the manticore comes to life and is on fire and is shooting these needles at you that are on fire and you get caught on fire only for a round later to have the manticore be back in its place and everyone be fine except for a little bit of damage that you might have taken. Right, the haunts are a really interesting part of this. They give us all of these really neat scenes where all kinds of unusual, creepy, scary things happen. But I do want to talk about this for a moment, and we'd like to kind of drop a content warning at this point. What I'm going to be talking about right now are themes of suicide and misogyny, and we're going to talk about that for about a minute. So if you're sensitive to that, please consider just skipping forward about a minute. I'll make this brief so that you should be about right. 
So, two of the haunts are one that gives the player characters a suicidal urge and one that gives them a vicious misogynistic urge. The suicidal urge is pretty obvious. You end up picking up a dagger and trying to kill yourself with it, and the misogynistic urge causes the character to make attacks immediately lashing out at the nearest woman. Both of these are strongly themed as what they are. It's important that you discuss things like this with your group beforehand and have a good understanding of what they're comfortable with. Everybody has things that trigger or bother them, and in many cases, those things can be just mundane things like overeating and stuff like that, but these are really common ones. Themes of misogyny and suicide can be a really big deal. Make sure your group is comfortable with this kind of material before you consider going into it. So the point being that it's important to consider the interests of your group with things like haunts and scary situations, but they can make for a lot of tension, and some people genuinely like being put in situations that make them a little uncomfortable. And that can be cool, but remember that whatever your group's feelings on this topic are, you as the DM need to make sure that everyone's comfortable with the game you're playing. I like these set pieces, I like all of them. The whole manner is creepy in a cool sort of way, and make sure that everybody's going to have a good time and be interested in the story if you go through it. As you go through this whole manor, you find these windows that have stained glass in them that show this weird story going on. And when you get to the basement, you realize that the man who originally built the manor tried to turn himself into a lich. And might have succeeded had his wife not discovered his plans and interrupted them at the last moment. His soul is now infused in the house and is causing all of the horrible things that are happening, up to and including his descendant being infected as a ghoul. In the basement, you get to go down into these caverns where you actually find the Skinsaw Man himself. There he is, Aldern Foxglove, turned into an advanced ghoul who's sitting there and waiting for you. Whichever PC he's waiting for. But he's waiting for you. And he's waiting for you because whatever reason you as the DM decided was the reason in this case. It's actually a really neat open-ended sort of thing that gives you an opportunity to play along with his motivations and consider what will work best for your group. Bonus, it comes with handouts. And handouts are great for reminding your player characters they're going in the right direction. I absolutely love handouts. Player characters can get so lost and when you hand them a piece of paper and go, hey, this is the person you're talking to, or, hey, this is what you read, it gives them a moment of going, yes, cool, we're finding out what's happening. We're definitely not completely off base. So, the Skinsaw Man is here, and the Skinsaw Man is built as this character with these uh, multiple personalities that allow him to converse with the player characters in a pleasant manner one minute, and then to shift to a vicious malevolence the next. In the end, you can deal with him socially, but more than likely you're going to end up killing him, and that is great. You end up killing the Skinsaw Man. You've solved the Skinsaw Murders. This is a pretty good module. It feels a little short, though. You're only halfway through it. There's actually several sections after this. Depending on which version of the module you're looking at, you either just finish section 2 of 5 or 4 of 7. Uh, okay, so you go back to Sandpoint and figure out that he has, like, moles in the town or something? No. Actually, throughout the manor, there's all sorts of little hints about the city of Magnamar being dropped. And if you talk to the Skinsaw Man long enough, he's eventually going to say that his real masters await in Magnamar. And beyond that, there's a key to his townhouse, also in Magnamar. The skyline of Magnamar is featured in some of the paintings in the house. Magnamar, 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 and Magnamar. Magnamar, Magnamar, Magnamar. 
Where's Magnamar? Well, it's not too far down the coast, so let's go to Magnamar. Let's go to Magnamar indeed. So, no doubt we're going to have a ton of adventures in Magnamar, and all sorts of crazy things are going to happen. And no, actually, there's just a couple set pieces there, but it is a much larger city than Sandpoint. In fact, if you have Magnamar City of Monuments, which was a later supplement, you'll have a lot of material to go off of, and you can make this part as long or as short as you want. If you run it straight out of the module, you'll have enough information on Magnamar that the PCs could probably make two or three small stops, but mostly they're just going to be going to the manor, blah blah blah, fight some faceless stalkers, and find out that there is an evil cult behind all of this. An evil cult? Oh, jeez. And it even says that they're holed up in a sawmill, which is kind of an interesting parallel to the beginning. Yep. This is the cult of the god of murder. Pathfinder has, of course, a god of death, and it has a god of assassins, but this is specifically the god of murder. The god Nurgaburth. John, you, you okay? A little bit of ice cream headache. Let me try that again. His name is Nurgaburth. You sure you're all right? Uh, the Novocaine's still wearing off from my dental appointment, but I'm pretty sure his name is... No, it's Norgaber. His name is Norgaber. Maybe he became the god of murder because everyone kept making fun of his name. Like, oh, I'll show them. I'll become the god of murder. I'll kill them all. Anyway, so you go to this sawmill and you fight cultists of the god of murder. And you go through here and there's a chance that you can push the cultists into the spinning saw blade. Especially if you saw how effective it was against a hapless civilian earlier. In the end, they're being led by a person called Justice Ironbriar, who is a politician in... Magnamar? What? Who, who is this guy? Why is he important? Uh, he's a politician. He wants to murder the mayor of Magnamar, and defeating him actually kind of brings a close to a small conspiracy against the mayor, which lets you build up a little bit of clout with the government of Magnamar, and on top of that allows you to justify your existence as something more than a few murder hobos wandering through the neighborhood slaughtering guilty cultists. From the sawmill, you go to a section called Shadows of Time. In a part of Magnamar, which is erected underneath a massive bridge. Yeah, Magnamar has this giant bridge in it that used to go somewhere and do something, but now it doesn't do much. Kind of like that big stretch of highway outside Sao Paulo in Brazil that doesn't attach to anything. Except this used to attach to something way back when, which is a great reminder that the Pathfinder world's been around for thousands of years and several empires have fallen since it began. So you have this cool sagging clock tower. You go inside and there is a flesh golem with an absurdly high stealth skill and you get to fight against him and possibly go up these stairs as he's backing you up them and even then one of the bells in this clock tower can get thrown down at the player characters and possibly the flesh golem if they're having a bit of a hard time. Ooh, ooh, the flesh golem is named the Scarecrow. And it's kind of interesting because it shows that one thing they're doing at this module is a lot of parallels. First, we've got a sawmill, and now we've got a sawmill. We've got a house owned by a noble, and then we have a house owned by a noble. We have scarecrows that attack you, and now we have a scarecrow that attacks you. And I feel like when they rebranded the sanitarium part, what they wanted to do was have a corrupt official controlled by a more powerful evil, and now we have a corrupt official controlled by a more powerful evil. I just don't feel it worked as well. At the top of the clock tower, you get to fight Zanisha. She's... Okay, the picture here looks like she's a store brand Yon-Ti. Why didn't they just use a Yon-Ti? 
Well, they went with uh, Lamia Matriarch because the auntie is D&D product identity. There's actually a fairly short list of monsters that are D&D product identity, and you'll find that the Pathfinder versions kind of feel like Kmart versions of it, but they also work just as well for the actual adventure purposes, and they're definitely very similar from a monster perspective. But yeah, I really, really think when they made this, they were probably like, oh, it should be a yawn tea, and then they looked it up and were like, uh, guess it can't be a yawn tea. Let's make something else. They fight her and defeat her, and they find this note, which sets up the next module. It's from her sister, kind of mocking her about her inefficient ways of branding people with the Cyhedron. All in all, this module is a bit weaker than the first, but I feel that it has stronger set pieces. Kind of like a a tent that would be taller, but the top of it is sagging. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the fight scenes in this module are going to be more interesting than the first module, which makes sense because, in a sense, the adventure paths are intended for newer players, and by now you're starting to get seasoned and more complex battlefields and interesting tactical situations can be more appealing and very approachable, whereas before, at the very beginning, might be difficult to convince your player characters that they can use the full battlefield. Now they're going to be more comfortable with that. The traps and haunts are a fabulous backdrop that gives us a great situation that's very interesting and very outside the norm and the fact that it recalls a lot of common horror tropes does give us that feeling of recognition that we sometimes look for in our media remember tropes aren't bad tropes exist because certain stories resonate with us and these are homages to stories that resonate with us and in that spirit the next module is also going to contain a number of homages as we'll soon see so up next we have the third module in the rise of the rune lords the hook mountain massacre once again this has been save versus rant thank you very much for listening are you still simply carving the cyhedron on them as they expire how crude my method of marking is so much more elegant in any event i'm sure that your plans for harvesting greed where and when you can find them in the wild are progressing well enough the note to Zanisha. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. New episodes are released on the first and third Monday of each month. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.